How are you keeping them happy? And that is a very loaded and complex answer because especially in sports, it's an emotional product. The team winning or losing drives so much of their satisfaction (laughs) that at the end of the day, you have no control over. Whereas (laughs) you have some control over product development when making a football boot. You have some control over product development when making a cell phone, right? You control these things. In our world, we don't control what happens on Sunday. So that's fascinating of just how much wins and losses can drive fandom. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening to the one-to-one consumer marketing podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Doug Boisik, Senior VP of Marketing and Communications CMO at Houston, Texas. Thanks for sitting with me today. Thanks for having me on. Guten Tag, wie geht's? Guten Tag. Uh, yeah, that's how the German, the German roots. I can hear that. That's amazing. Uh, thanks so much for, for jumping on that. Let's talk again a little bit about sports, customer engagement, fan engagement, and retention. But before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey from companies like Merchant Mobile to the Philadelphia Union and how you landed with the Houston Texans? Absolutely. I will tell you, my, my journey is unique as so many of us in sports. Uh, if you want to call Virgin Mobile uh, consumer products, uh, CPG, consumer packaged goods, right? It's a, it's a product sitting on a shelf. So for me to make a transition of a 10-year career of, of CPG to sports was quite an interesting shift. And there's a really good story, actually, of how I got my foot in the door at sports, coming from a Virgin to an Under Armour, then to a Philadelphia Union and so forth. So you tell me how deep you want to go, because there's some fun stories in there and good lessons learned about how to find your way in. You go, you go ahead. Uh, the lessons are always good for you know, people today, new, which might also want to break into sports, but also just want to break into the spheres you're currently operating in. Okay, perfect, perfect. I'll, I'll give you a little bit more detail than usual then. So yeah, you could imagine sports is really exciting and attractive and everybody wants to work in them. But I didn't know I wanted to work in sports, to be honest with you. When I eventually found my way to consumer products, call it Boost Mobile and then Virgin Mobile, my goal, there were really two goals. It was work for cool brands, you know, work for brands that were lifestyle marketing, 18 to 34, you know, don't go work at an insurance company, right? Don't go work in medical, work at cool brands, number one. And number two, I'll admit, I didn't really have a, a path or a vision for my career. It was basically just work hard, do great work and get as far promoted as you could. It didn't matter what the job was, to be honest. I spent my first five years in sales, actually, in CPG. I was not a marketer when I first got my real job. So for me, it was stay true to myself, work at a cool place, cool brands, and see where the journey takes you. How I got into sports is pretty, pretty fascinating. Out of tragedy comes triumph sometimes. (laughs) At Virgin, I had finally worked my way up into a pretty high-ranking brand marketing job where I was overseeing brand strategy, marketing operations, social media, PR, community, all these, you know, multifaceted verticals under marketing. And I'd been there probably about a year in that job after several years at Virgin Mobile. And my company was bought by SoftBank. So very (laughs) huge conglomerate, right? And uh, meaning they bought my company. Our parent company was Sprint at the time, uh, which doesn't even exist now in the US. And SoftBank simply had a different portfolio strategy. And when it came to Virgin Mobile, after some time, they said, yeah, it's, it's a brand that we're not going to invest in in the future. And that left me one year in. I finally got that big job. I was you know, excited to finally be that leader. And I was like, oh, what does that mean for me? 
And what it ended up meaning for me is uh, I, I had a really hard lesson as a young leader. I had to lay off my entire organization, right? Including people that were 10, 20 years older than me that were supporting families, right? I had to, I had to learn that of what it means to, to lay off an organization. And then for me personally, they gave me a choice. They said, we could find a home for you at, at Sprint somewhere, or you could take a severance package. And for me, if my core was work at cool places, no offense to Sprint, Sprint was not cool. <laughs> so I elected to take a package. And when I took my package, that is where I slowly found sports. Again, no intent in working in sports. I simply was looking at myself and I said, what am I doing in my free time? And in my free time, I was going to uh, footy headlines and soccer Bible every morning to kind of get my head getting excited about boots and jerseys and leaks. I became a season ticket holder at the Major League Soccer team in Philadelphia. Uh, it was a new team in 2010. And I started playing uh, adult soccer again after not playing for 20 years. And I said to myself, I guess I should try to work in sports, <laughs> right? Uh, so there was no master plan. There was no strategy. And then I just went to old school networking, right? I'd apply to jobs. I wouldn't hear back from anybody. I'd go out to my key group and say, does anybody know somebody at, at Adidas, Under Armour, Nike? No luck. And eventually I found my way in and over a period of six months, got to know the head of soccer for Adidas in Portland, a, game, a guy named Ernesto Bruce. And we just got to know each other. No job interview, no anything like that. But the reason why ultimately I ended up getting a job at Adidas and Under Armour was because of my obsession with football boots. What was the obsession I was a bit of a, a sneaker collector, a sneaker freaker, whatever you want to call it, right? Uh, Jordans and Vans and all these things. And when I started playing again in my early 30s, I was fascinated by the branding, the tech, the players who was wearing what. And I would go and just hunt boot deals and I would just <laughs> buy boots. So on a Sunday morning, right, for an over 30 men's league, I'd open up my trunk and I'd have 50 pairs of boots in my trunk in my car. Wow. And people would say to me, like, are you a former player? I'm like, no, I just love boots. I just love them. And I'd wear a different pair every game. Right. And I, I was fascinated by the marketing and the product marketing and whether the tech's real or not, a lot of it's marketing. And what separated me in my interview process for Adidas and Under Armour was the fact that I could break down every brand, every boot, every piece of tech, top 10 players wearing every style. That is where You know, someone at Adidas would say, I'm embarrassed that I think you know more than my team does about mm -hmm. everything. And I'll tell you to this day, if it wasn't for that obsession that was personal, I mm -hmm. probably would never have ended up in sports. I would have never have gotten a job offer from Adidas, a job offer from Under Armour. And then that obviously transformed into the team side for the current part of my career. But I'll say to this day, had I not obsessed about boots, I would have just been like everybody else, a good marketer with good ideas, mm -hmm. just like everybody else out there. Right. I think it was the obsession on boots that separated me. That's fascinating because in the end, I see you also a pattern that is, um, you have a first principle, right? So you want to work at cool places. That's very, very cool because how weird did it come from? I want to work at a cool place. That sounds a little like, you know, a small child. <laughs> I was like, where do you want to work at a cool place? Uh, but I think that's how you, you know, made your decision in the end. I mean, Adidas, Under Armour, that's all very cool places to work at. And you combine that with your obsession. That's yep. Yep. Yeah. The cool thing I'll say probably came from my family growing up. So when I was, when I was in college, my older sister worked in call it tour management and event promotions. So mm -hmm. I could witness her going from city to city, 
to help manage a heavy metal show, a hip hop show. And I was, I was like, you get paid to do this. This is amazing. What a cool job. So I think I, you know, my direct family comes from legal backgrounds, insurance backgrounds. But when, as soon as my sister started entering, oh, wow, like you could have a really cool life and get paid to do it. That for me was a big light bulb moment where as long as I can find cool places, I'm off to a good start. Makes total sense. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. You also work now a very cool job, I have to say, yep. but maybe you can, you can tell us a little bit, how does a day look like for you in the light of dark? What was happening on a normal day and what's happening, for example, on a game day? There are no normal days, correct? So <laughs> they're all, they're all different. Um, I will say I'm very blessed in my role in that my scope is, is wide. So if I look at the verticals that are part of my organization, you've got a, a classic marketing function, a classic marketing operations and planning, integrated marketing. You have your classic digital, social app, web management vertical. You've got a whole side of creators that are designers, photographers, videographers. You've got broadcasts, that's TV, that's radio, that's preseason game production. You've got game entertainment and presentation. So everything that happens on game day, in the stadium, that's not the players, right? The entertainment, mm -hmm. the on-field, the video boards, the music. You Then you have community and our foundation. So all the good things we're doing in the community, how are we raising funds to give back into the local market is part of the organization as well. And then of course, uh, the, the communications and PR side of things that in sports, it's very important to keep at our heart that a lot of the work is inbound because there's so much interest in what we do. But also there's a side of our job that's very outwardly facing, right? How do we get more interest to, to cover our team? So when you look at all those verticals, my days can be all over the place, right? At one moment, it can be, what's our retail collection for next week? Another moment could be like, use this weekend as example. Uh, one of our greatest players and one of the, probably one of the greatest players in the NFL, JJ Watt, is being inducted into the Texans ring of honor. And there's only two other members in that ring of honor. So this week, Everyone is focused on how are we bringing J.J. Watt to life, whether it be through PR, television, community, through digital content, through game day experiences. So every day is different. Every week is different. And then game day is very, very different as a result of that. You're pointing to a very interesting fact that we have a lot of inbound demand. So people want to and that's how to get information. They want to be closer to the team and so on. On the other hand, you have the job to expand reach, to engage them more. That's a little bit of an exciting point because most marketers out there have the, or especially retention CRM marketers, if they do everything correctly and they engage the user perfectly along the user journey, they have a high NPS score and they have something like a net promoter, promoter of the brand, which is almost something like a fan, but you have a lot of fans, right? And how do you, engage fans on the one end, how do you expand reach, get more fans, get them more engaged? How do you balance these very, very different levels? That's probably a three hour answer for you. That's probably a, <laughs> a, a university lecture. But at the end of the day, you really can break down, call it the business of sports versus necessarily fan stage or fan journey, right? Mm -hmm. Every team in any league, you have your core season ticket members, right? And mm -hmm. your core season ticket members drive depending on sport and team, 70, 80% of your ticketing revenue, right? Okay. So every year, if you really want to make the, the comparison to other industries, that is your classic life cycle marketing, your classic retention, your classic 
NPS, keeping them happy, keeping them renewed. That's your classic model. So whether you're selling a, a phone service and you want them to renew their contract, whether you're selling a, a soccer boot, a football boot, and you want them to buy the next boot, right? It's the same, it's the same model is your core user that's driving the majority of your revenue. How are you keeping them happy? And that is a very loaded and complex answer because especially in sports, it's an emotional product. The team winning or losing drives so much of their satisfaction <laughs> that at the end of the day, you have no control over. Whereas <laughs> you have some control over product development when making a football boot, you have some control over product development when making a cell phone, right? You control these things. In our world, we don't control what happens on Sunday. So that's fascinating of just how much wins and losses can drive fandom. Let's be honest in the world of sports. And you see this when teams are, are losing for a long time, years, decade, their stadiums on television, they look more empty, right? Yeah. Yes, they do. It's hard to find a team that has a long period of losing that the stands are full, the fans are crazy, <laughs> right? Because as, as marketers, our job is always to take the status and make it better, but we can't take the status here and make it this much better. Sure, right? yeah. we, are here, we are here to capitalize on the good moments and to make the bad moments not as bad, right? So you can yeah. see, you can see marketers do this in sports of when the team's bad, you're going to focus more on experience, connection, human interest, non-sports yeah. things. When the team is good, you're doubling down on why this team's the best team ever and to get excited and to have hope and championships will come. And we all do it because, again, we are magnifying the status or at times manipulating the story to not mm -hmm. focus so much on the negatives, right? So for me, it's fascinating when you look at that emotional buyer that is the core of your revenue on the ticketing side on how you keep them happy, right? And you'll find through survey data, experience and game day environment, all that matters, but it matters more when the team's not as good. The party experience, the tailgate experience, the social aspect of it matters more when the team's not good. So yes. I think most fascinating for me was my experience at the Philadelphia Union in Major League Soccer because I got to see both sides of it. When I got there, we were a terrible team. Couldn't win mm -hmm. games. I think we went eight months without a win, right? Just terrible. Wow. terrible. And I remember how hard it was to sell tickets or if you have sold a lot of tickets to get them just to show up, right? Yes. Some people, some yes. people will buy a ticket and just not show up. And then my latter years there, the team was successful. So if I think about those five years, the first three was about reinvention. How are we reinventing marketing? How are we reinventing game day? How are we reinventing uh, retail? How are we reinventing our PR communication strategy? How are we reinventing content? All those things. How are we finding hidden gems of stories and magnifying those? When okay. the team was good, we had actually all the marketing strategy and process in place from the losing years. Mm -hmm. So we were, by the time that the team was good, we were a well-oiled machine. So we could capitalize on everything when the team was good. So I'm giving you a very long-winded answer, but sports to me versus maybe my 10 years on the product side and CPG, it's fascinating of the emotional side of it and how you have to change your marketing strategy based upon it. You're right. Fasc I think fascinating is a good word to describe it because everything, you know, the whole marketing changes the moment the game is over, right? So you always need to be prepared for both, which I think is an incredible amount of work in order to be prepared for that. And if you have an eight month losing <laughs> streak, 
Yeah. Then have you prepared at this point still the, the communication for the win or you were more <laughs> like in the corner saying just, oh, yeah, that's, that's, well, that's what we have to run with? Well, I mean, after eight months, when you do get the win, you don't celebrate the win too much because your fans would be like, oh, you finally won. Look at you being off, awesome, right? Uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I, I would say, though, to, to answer your question uh, non-sarcastically, win or lose, content creators are going to create. Win or lose, creatives are making photography, design, video, right? Win or lose, there's TV shows. Win or lose, there's outbound communication, right? Mm -hmm. Win or lose. The Philadelphia Union experience is funny because we were still doing our job in the sense we were building a brand, regardless of wins or losses. We were building a cool brand that mm -hmm. the Philadelphia Union are cool, regardless of wins or losses, right? Mm -hmm. And after this eight-month skid, we released a video that was uh, our players mocking. There's a TV show in the 90s called The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Uh, look it up. Mm -hmm. You'll be like, wow, the 90s were crazy, right? With, uh, with Will Smith. <laughs> But that's a story about a Philadelphia kid that goes to L.A. So we, we basically did a, a mock spoof of the intro video of that TV show with our players, right? Mm -hmm. Supposed to be funny, supposed to get laughs. And we launched that video during an eight-month losing skid, right? I can't tell you the amount of messages I got that day from the external world. What are you mm -hmm. doing? How are you making jokes during this time? You know, you're you're the dumbest marketer in the world, right? All these things. See, some of my peers at the league, what are you doing? Oh, you know, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, I was like, well, isn't our job to entertain? If the product on the field's not entertaining right now, aren't we still here to help entertain to some degree? Uh -huh. So the fun fact in this, and sometimes uh, people go, what you do doesn't help wins or losses, right? This is one, <laughs> this is my, my only example in eight sports years where I can say it does. So the tale is the, um, the players saw that video before that game and it mm -hmm. made them all laugh. It made them all just crack up and make fun of each other. And it got their minds out of the trap of lose, win, lose, win, lose, win. They won that game. They won that game. They played freely. They were relaxed. They played the kind of football that they're expected to play. And to this mm -hmm. day, we joke as marketers, we're like, we got that win. We got them, we got them <laughs> out of their heads, right? So... Yeah, I digress, but it's uh, if I'll say anything again, fascinating world of all the things we get to do as as professional marketers. It's sketching the hearts of minds, which is the best thing you can achieve as a marketer. But to come back to the eighty percent of the ticket holders you mentioned, yeah. you, you really need. How do you think about this? How do you structure them? How do you know we need to get to this eighty percent? Are you happy at the end of the season if you get to the new season eighty one percent, eighty two percent? What's the success for this kind of group to? keeping them happy, re-engage them, and how do you measure that? Yeah, I'd say the best way to answer you is just the complexity of marketing in today's world, right? There is no majority solution to make those people mm -hmm. happy. Everybody, mm -hmm. there's core learnings, right? But everybody wants something different to feel satisfied. Some want mm -hmm. the best tailgate experience pregame in the parking lots, right? The party. Some want that. That, that is the core of their day. Some mm -hmm. want perks and discounts. Some want the comfiest, best view in the building, right? And from a seat perspective, mm -hmm. some want the sense of community around their seats. The same people have mm -hmm. been sitting with me 10 years. This is my extended family. Some people mm -hmm. want cool merch. They just, you know, they, they, like, they, they like to feel that team swag, right? Some people like the traditions and rituals and the songs and the chants. So mm -hmm. some people are more concerned about traffic and parking, right? All right, yeah. So the complexity of satisfaction on 
any fan these days, let alone your core, is more complex than ever. And mm -hmm. the best you can do as a marketer is be extremely data-driven. So, okay. you know, from surveys to point of sale feedback, to focus groups, to real-time data on game day. So give you an example of real-time data we see, we see parking lot information by the parking lot. We see entry information by gate. So we know, oh, if that parking lot's 90% full, but that gate has only got 10% of people through it yet, we know those people are still partying and they're not coming in yet, right? Mm -hmm. We know real time what they're buying at every single stand. We know on any given day, ooh, that new burger is making fans happy because they're buying a lot of it. But we also know okay. that that new burger is taking 15 minutes to get made. That's got to be faster to make them happier, right? We know real time every point of sale on merch, what t-shirts are selling best, what hoodies are selling best, the limited edition stuff, how that's doing. So game day, we're getting all of that data in. We have some brilliant data analytics people here and all the infrastructure they've built to get us that information real time. So we get all of that on game day constantly through an ops feed. Mm -hmm. And then now add to that all the monitoring we're doing on social media with social media listening tools, all the monitoring we're doing with uh, PR communications tools. So all that stuff is letting you ultimately know satisfaction to a degree without it depending on a survey where you get an MPS score, to be honest. Very cool. The ops feed you're mentioning there, how should I imagine those kind of ops feed? Is that something like really a data feed you're looking at? Is it um, uh, something like a Facebook feed that's coming <laughs> along where you see different updates? Or how do you, I mean, that's, I would say from speaking to different marketers, that's very, very complex operations with, especially when it is real time. So how do you manage that? Yeah, and, th and that's where I give the utmost credit to our SVP of, of business analytics. His name is Ben Wong. He entered the organization at the same time as me. So what he has done an amazing job at is all of these data sources. There's so many, right? Between retail point of sale, concessions point of sale, gate information, parking information, ticket masters, our ticket partner, right? All these things are separate feeds. So you can imagine if we didn't have a smart data system, I might have 20 windows open to get all this yes. data. He has yeah. been able to build backend pipelines so everything runs through Tableau. I can just see Tableau okay. reports real time that update every five minutes. And even to make it even easier on us, since we're on our phones mostly on game day, even in, in Microsoft Teams, just in Teams, he's got automatic data feeds that show you some of this key data real time. So brilliant minds that are beyond just the marketing guy to make all this happen. So the organization knows how we're doing on any given minute throughout a game. That's so cool. And I think that's really top notch technology uh, you're using here also from the from the tech stack if you think about technology and how this is developing and what do you imagine how do you imagine the next three five years what excites you as a marketer going forward uh, i would say we're all trying to figure it out right max <laughs> we're all trying to figure it out and uh if you think about what's happened over the past 10 years it's been fascinating if i could think about myself as a marketer 10 years ago i spent so much time in meetings that were about all your app, all your website, consumers aren't there anymore, right? Web usage is down year over year over year, all teams, all sports, right? It's just that's not where the consumer goes, right? Same thing on app. Apps, you know, there was a phase where every team was like, I got to have an app. I have to have the best app. Oh my gosh, we, we got to bring people on the app. The app's going to be sticky. The reality is now this is, this is my third team. So that's my perspective on it, right? My third team. Yeah. So three different team apps. Most of the usage happens on game day. 
most of the usage is about how do I make my stadium experience better, whether it be ticketing, whether it be in-seat ordering, whether it be different raffles or purchases. It's not about content. It's not about, oh, what's the latest injury update? They're, they're getting that from Twitter, right? They don't need the team app. So for me, I am curious over the next five to 10 years on the classic models of app and website. If we all finally look at ourselves and go, consumer's not there, it's time to move on. Because we still all put resource into them, right? Because, because you have to have a team app. You have to have a website with the information, right? That, that's the expected model. So how do you just accept where fans are and mm -hmm. either dial back resource, right? Or mm -hmm. come up with a new solution. So for mm -hmm. me, that's one is, will there come a point in time we're all willing to look ourselves and say, these are not important anymore and scale back? Mm -hmm. Two is you can see, of course, where all the fans are and that's social. Mm -hmm. But as you know, right, we only control our outcomes so much on those platforms, right? They're not owned and operated. We can make the best content in the world. We can engage our fans. We can look at all the analytics, but we, we all know that without rather extensive paid efforts behind them, the organic reach of our posts anymore are extremely limited, right? Mm -hmm. I forget what the latest stat is, but let's just say it's under 2%, right? Under 2%, yeah. right? So 2% of your fans are seeing your content organically. Now think about all the work that is pushed behind the scenes to make all of that content. So there's also eventually to me, there's going to be a meeting of this somewhere of all this resource and work to storytell, to engage fans, but only 2% are getting it. And to get more reach, I have to spend a whole lot of money, mm -hmm. right? Just to engage my fans. But that's where we are today, right? As a fan consumption trend. So to me, that's fascinating of that cycle keeps going and gets worse, right? Because of, honestly, the social companies that make money, right? So that's interesting of how that will continue to unfold. And then lastly, you just look at what happened with threads, right? It is mm -hmm. so hard to break a new platform, right? Even from the companies who have had extreme success in platforms. So to me is like in the next five years, is there eventually a new platform that sticks, right? Just like mm -hmm. TikTok did years ago, right? When TikTok first launched, everyone's like, really? Only kids are going <laughs> to use it. And now, right, you see kids through 56-year-olds using TikTok, right? All for different uses. So to me, it's like, is there another one that pops in the next five to 10 that no one sees coming? And then what well, I love when new platforms launch, to be honest, because when you join a team, you're inheriting their platforms. You're inheriting the audience built over time right? And as a lead marketer, right? I have this many followers, right? That's happened over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So your number's your number. And if your number's smaller, you're like, oh, you're a small team on Twitter versus the big teams on Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. And it's hard, right? It's hard to get new fan acquisition on social, right? Mm -hmm. But when a new platform launches, to me as a marketer, that's the test. We're all starting at zero and who can outdo who, who can have the best content, who can have the best engagement, who can grow their fan base, who can convert from other platforms to the new platform fastest. So I love new platforms because to me, that's where <laughs> I get to, I get to go to the creatives and go, okay, let's really show everybody we're better. So for me, that's, that's really interesting. That's something, honestly, I probably didn't learn to think that way until my time at the LA galaxy. Whereas their, their TikTok performance is top in the world. I think they're a top 10, top 15 club in the world. And in the big sports landscape, they're a 
medium sized club in MLS, mm -hmm. which is a smaller mm -hmm. league globally. Mm -hmm. right? Yet mm -hmm. they're top 10, top 15 with giant sports, global properties. So to me, that was a really interesting lesson there of like, look what happens when you can launch a platform day one. And can you mm -hmm. crush your competition when you're all <laughs> in the same point? So, so we'll see where all that goes. Yeah, and it's always interesting to put this also onto, you know, the CV or elsewhere to say, I was the one that launched this new channel for, for this company or for this team, because as you said, that will stay on for the next 10 years or, or longer, but you were the one that got them to the top position or the top three or whatever, or top 10 or whatever it was. But I think that's, you know, this sportsmanship when it comes to the new platform, I think I, I totally get that. That's yeah. I would be the same. Yeah. <laughs> we're, you know, I love being in sports because that competition that you talked about, it's organic and it's natural to talk that way. Right. And my yes. team would tell you that I probably drive them nuts sometimes where we constantly look at rankings every week. How do we rank versus the other teams in the NFL for any social platform for PR capture and share a voice, right? How are we growing in the rankings? How are we getting better, right? Who's our comp set, right? Who are we beating next week, right? Like that comes organic in a sports setting. That's our way of winning, right? No different than Under Armour when we walk into a place and we've got 2% market share, right? To get to six, seven, 8% market share within a year and a quarter, like that's the sportsman, right? That is the competition of like, how are you going to beat? In that case, it was Puma. How are you gonna take market share from Puma to get your, to get your brand up. So I love that, that natural hunting, that natural athleticism, that natural athlete mindset is so relevant here, even as a business person within sports. Yeah. And I think that's an inspiration for a lot of other teams where I think it helps a lot to focus on the win, but also buffer the losses <laughs> because they will happen, right? So you cannot win all the time, but most of the time you should at least try it. Doug, that's, we're all going to have time for it to cover today. But before the, the wrap up, uh, if people want to follow your journey, where should they go? You know, what's funny. Sometimes marketers are the worst at self-promotion. So I'm probably that guy right here. <laughs> the, the, the best way is just LinkedIn. And I, I promise I reply to as many comments as possible. And I'm here to help because if it wasn't for the mentors I had in my career, I wouldn't be where I am. So feel free to find me on LinkedIn. Sure. We will uh, put that into the show notes. And again, well, thanks again. And, and we look forward to to see you execute at another at this cool place and more cool places and you know let's let's keep in touch all right thank you max juice